Today's scripture readings comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to partake of the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Last week we began looking at the prayer that Paul was praying for the believers in Colossae, the Colossian believers, as he was trying to encourage them. And we saw in his prayer the beginning, near the beginning part of Colossians chapter 1, he prayed for spiritual intelligence. Remember that, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God's will. He prayed for the practical obedience to live and walk worthy of the Lord. He prayed for moral excellence, and we talked about the fact that it's God's kratos. Remember that word? His manifested power working in us that we can, so that we can walk worthy of the Lord in patience and endurance, he, he wrote. So Paul says that we are empowered with all power according to the acting power of God's grace. So in the first part of his prayer that we looked at last week was a petition part of his prayer, things that he was praying that God would do in the lives of the Colossian believers. Then verse 12 to 14, which Evan read for us this morning, it's all about giving thanks. It's all about praise, thanking God for what he has already done. You know, that's what prayer really ought to be, shouldn't it? We should have a balance in our prayer. There should be petition and praise, praise and petition. You remember in Philippians chapter, excuse me, 4, verse 6, where Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He describes prayer as petition with thanksgiving. Sometimes we are so preoccupied with the things that we feel that we need right now, it's easy to skip the whole Thanksgiving part and go to what's really on our minds. What's one of the hardest things to teach children? They're really good at asking for things, right? And as soon as they get it, they turn around and off they go. And we have to constantly say, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Oh, thank you, and off they go. But it's not their first inclination. Why? Because we are innately selfish, which stems from the sinful nature that is within us. So it's all about us. Giving thanks, then, becomes a learned behavior, even in our Christian life. And so Paul is constantly reminding his readers every letter that he is sending out to the churches. He's telling them, give thanks. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we read, I urge then, strong word, I urge you, first of all, that petition, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Those terms combine petition and praise, asking and thanking, and those really become the ingredients of any biblical pattern for prayer. Notice in verse 12 here in Colossians 1 how, how he begins, giving joyful thanks to the Father. 
giving joyful thanks to the Father. I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about giving thanks this morning. Uh, then we'll move into the amazing truths that Paul shares with us about what he is giving thanks for. And it's really as simple as the words of Asaph. Asaph was a man that wrote a few of the Psalms. He wrote Psalm 50. And in verse 14, he says, Offer unto God thanksgiving. The Hebrew word to offer actually refers to a sacrifice, to slaughter something for sacrifice. Now, we're no longer under the sacrificial system. So when we offer thanksgiving to God, what do we slaughter? We should be slaughtering self. We are acknowledging that it's all God and none of us. It is no longer I who live. We, we, we quote that verse a lot, don't we? It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. In Psalm 69, verse 30, we read, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. That's a neat phrase. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that has horns and hooves. Talking about the sacrificial system. By praising God, we magnify Him. That's exactly what the Hebrew word there it means, to grow, to become great or important, promote, make powerful, to magnify, from the Greek dictionary. What does a magnifying glass do? It makes things larger. When we thank and praise God, we enlarge Him in our minds and in our hearts. We don't need to enlarge Him for who He is. He's that big. Sometimes we... think of him as very small. So when we're thanking him and magnifying and praising him, we are enlarging him in our own hearts. By slowing down and purposely thinking about what God has done for us and thanking him for it all, it helps us to refocus and remember how big God really is, how magnificent, how wonderful, how great, how omniscient he is. Did you catch the last part of that verse too? This, he was saying, praising the name of God, also shall please the Lord better than ox or bullock that has horns and hooves. God loves and is pleased by true thanks coming from a heart that is filled with thanksgiving, and which is offered both in word and in song. He loves that far more than us running around trying to do things that we think is going to please him. He just wants us to praise Him. He wants to thank Him for who He is. Listen to Psalm 107. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of His works with songs of joy. The first part of Psalm 92 says this, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. For you make me glad by your works, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. How often do we do that? How often do we remember to just praise Him and thank Him? It doesn't have to be complicated. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, we read this interesting statement, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And then he tells us what that sacrifice means. What is that sacrifice? It's a fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's a sacrifice of praise. Seems like such a simple thing to do, right? 
to set a little time aside every day and just thank Him. Just thank Him. But how often we forget. I know I do. We don't forget to ask Him. We often forget to thank Him. Did you know that even the angels give thanks to God? Listen, we read in Revelation 4, verse 8, Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. The living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks. Glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. Why do they do this? Because verse 11, the very next verse says, You are worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy. Jesus himself often spent time thanking the Father. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. In John chapter 6, when he was feeding the 5,000, he said, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. Jesus was always thankful. Why? Because he understood, he knew the truth that we read about in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every, that's a, that's a comprehensive word, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This was a pattern in the life of Christ to thank God. It is the pattern of the angels in heaven to thank God, and this is commanded of us. We must be thankful to God. He is the one that provides everything. Ephesians 5, verse 20, it says, Always, another comprehensive word, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the greatest thing for which we need to give thanks is for our salvation. That's the greatest working of all. Isn't it the greatest miracle that he keeps on performing? People say, I I don't see God doing miracles. I mean, he does miracles every single day all around the world. All over the world, he keeps raising people from the dead, for goodness sake. Spiritually, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Christ, every day, is raising them from the dead. Day after day after day, he does this as his people share the love of Christ with them. Coming back to Colossians. Colossians 1. Here in verses 12 to 14, Paul expresses thanks for salvation that's been provided in Christ. Listen to his words. Giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So after asking God to help the Colossian believers to grow in the knowledge of God and grow in the knowledge of his will, after asking God to help them to walk a life worthy of the Lord, So they can then be used by God to bear fruit and reproduce that fruit as they work for God. He now thanks God for their salvation. 
And he kind of does that by summing up the doctrine of salvation in three amazing statements. Three amazing truths about, about salvation. These truths can be summed up in three words. Inheritance, deliverance, and transference. Inheritance, he says, who has qualified you to share the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? Deliverance, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transference and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So let's take a look at those three words this morning. First of all, inheritance. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul starts by making this very personal. He doesn't just say, give thanks to God. And God's a general term. Almost every religious group in the world uses the term God. But Paul makes this very personal. He uses Father, the personal name, because God loves each one of us personally and individually. He wants to have that personal relationship with us. He says that the Father has qualified you personally to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. I'm glad he uses the term Father here, aren't you? Because this really emphasizes the proper relationship that he wants with each one of us. You see, God starts out as a judge in a person's life. He looks down on a guilty sinner, deserving of wrath, according to Ephesians, already condemned by their own disobedience and refusal to acknowledge Christ, according to John 3.18. And then by the grace of God, the act of Christ, and by our faith in Christ, he stops being judge and he becomes father. Isn't that neat? He becomes father. And notice what he says, he has qualified you. He has qualified you. The Greek dictionary says it is to make sufficient, to render fit. He has labeled us qualified to enter into the inheritance On what basis am I qualified? All all the good things that I do? Because I'm such a nice guy? It's on the basis of the finished work of Christ. It's not talking about our practices and what we do. It's talking about our position in Christ. Now, if God had to qualify us, that means that before our relationship with Christ, we were what? Unqualified. Well, just how unqualified were we? Well, Paul is very clear about the unqualification in Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Pastor, that's harsh. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's reality. But you know, I, I, I know people who are basically good people. They're, they're not horrible. They're not murderers. They're not rapists. They're not, they, they don't do horrible things. But they're good people in whose sight? What has qualified them as good people? Every person without Christ 
lands in that category of being unqualified. They're dead in their transgressions and sins. They follow the ways of the world. They're under the power of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. They're gratifying the cravings of their flesh and following his desires and, and thoughts. And to sum it all up, they are by nature deserving of wrath. What nature? The sinful nature that we are born with. We are born under God's wrath by nature. That, folks, is unqualified. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 11. Talking to the Gentile believers, he says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners in the covenants, to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Wow. They were Christless. They were citizenship-less, foreigners to God. They were covenant-less, without the promises of God, hopeless, having no hope whatsoever, and godless in the world. That's to be unqualified. But now, but now, Paul says in verse 13, there in Ephesians 2, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are now qualified. Back to our verse, Colossians 1.11, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. So what's He qualified us for? He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Everybody loves to hear that they're going to get an inheritance, right? Oh boy. But in order to receive that inheritance, your name needs to be on the will. And then you need to prove that you are who you say you are to the lawyer who is uh, handing out this will or uh, explaining the will. And it's your ID that qualifies you. To share in the inheritance means to receive personally and individually. Every individual has their individual allotment, and that's what the word is, means here. We have been qualified to receive a personal inheritance, something that belongs to us by um, by inheritance. To share in the inheritance means to receive personally and individually. Our name, folks, is on the will. The Lamb's Book of Life. That's the will. And we are qualified because of the blood of that Lamb that was shed for us. Rather amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? No wonder Paul is praising God for that. It's phenomenal. You know, when you think about an inheritance, usually something in the future, right? Uh, Somebody needs to die (laughs) before we can even get a hold of any kind of inheritance. Folks, Christ died. Christ died, and through the forgiveness of sin that He provided, we have become children of God. And Paul says in Romans 8, 17, if you are children... Then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Automatic. So what's this inheritance? Well, if we are heirs of God, the question then is, what does God own? Everything. 
everything. Our inheritance starts with receiving eternal life, and what we receive is never ending. It's all that's available in heaven. 1 Peter 1 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's an amazing inheritance. Coming back to Colossians a minute here. If we are to share in the inheritance, who are we then sharing it with? Another question. In verse 12 there, he says to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. The only people who get in on that inheritance are his holy people. And who are his holy people? The ones who are already in the kingdom of light. Those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and who walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1. That goes back to what we talked about last week, right? That we are to be walking worthy of the Lord. Walking in his light, being a part of the kingdom of light. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul, at his con- during his conversion experience, was commissioned by Jesus himself to preach to the Gentiles. Listen to this. Fascinating when you think about what we're looking at in Colossians. The commission is, open their eyes, talking about the Gentiles, open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance, same word, among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's almost identical to what he's praising God for, for the Colossians here in chapter 1. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That was Paul's commission. He's praising God that that's taken place in the lives of the Colossians. When a man or woman puts their faith in Christ, they then receive the inheritance and they become holy, purified by the blood of Christ and set apart for God by faith. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, we have the tragic comparison of the opposite. Scripture always gives both sides. Paul Paul says very clearly, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be sucked in by the emotions of the culture and what's going on in culture. Do not be deceived, deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, that is very clear. For people who choose to live in this kind of lifestyle, there is no inheritance. None at all. Today, people would deem that as hate speech. But it's not. It's stating the truth. And there's no getting around it. There's no changing that. But Paul states it to show, actually, to show God's amazing love. He's not being hateful. He's showing God's love in the very next verse. And that is what some of you were. Past tense. You are no longer like that. Why? You were washed, he says. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Their lives were transformed. Their lives were changed. And it's only through Christ. Only possibility. Is that even possible to come out of those lifestyles? That's a debate that's going on in our culture today. Not possible. I disagree. Yes. 
Yes, it is, because I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. He's the one that makes it possible. We are transformed. We are changed. It's no longer my selfish, sinful desires that rule me. It should be Christ's desires that rule me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it is God who works in you. It's not, it's not my efforts. It's not my trying to change the, the way I've been. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. Just one more note about our inheritance. There's, there's a neat verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Did you catch that? Christ is eternal life. Christ himself is our inheritance and all that that entails. It's living with him in all of eternity. It's having the hope, the assurance that we will be with him. So another question. How do I know that's true? What guarantee do I have? I mean, those are just words in a book, right? Well, you already know probably where I'm going with this. We know what we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Folks, the day I was redeemed, God put His Holy Spirit in me. The, way you, the, the, the moment that you were redeemed, God put, placed His Holy Spirit in you. And when he puts that Holy Spirit in us, he says, there's my deposit, there's my down payment, there's my guarantee. When was the last time we thank God for our guaranteed inheritance? We need to do that. Paul was doing that. And the second thing he thanks God for is our deliverance. Verse 13, I give joyful thanks to the Father, for he has rescued us, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. The idea is that God actually took us from Satan to himself. The verb tense is what they call an aorist term, uh, tense, excuse me. It refers to something that happens at one moment in time. There was a specific time that you were delivered. Do you remember that time? It was when you Receive that new birth. The moment that you confess Jesus as Lord, that was the moment that we were delivered. We were, we were rescued. What, what were we rescued from? The dominion of darkness, Paul says. Literally, we were rescued from the power and authority that, of darkness that is over us. Everyone, Listen, everyone who does not have Christ is presently under the power and authority of the darkness of Satan. And most of them don't even know it. Luke 22 is actually a very good illustration of this, where Jesus was used that same term. This is the incident in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he's there, and the soldiers, and the chief priests, and all the other crowds, that they're all there to come to, um, to arrest him. And Jesus says to them, this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. Same phrase that Paul uses here. What does that term mean? 
Jesus used the term to refer to the supernatural forces that were brought together by Satan against him. The power of darkness is the dominion of Satan. And did you catch what Jesus said there? This is your moment. This is your moment. Jesus gave Satan a moment. Very brief moment. He gave Satan a moment which ended in total defeat. Not only did the power of darkness find itself unable to capture Jesus, but in his death he rescued all who were his out of the clutches of the power of darkness. And folks, once rescued, once rescued, we don't need to fear that power anymore. Why? Very common verse, greater is he that is in me, in you, than he that is in the world. Not only that, but do you know where Satan ends up? Under our feet. You realize that? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16, 20. Look that up sometime. That's an amazing reality. Why? Because we have Christ. Because we have victory in Christ. At the cross, Satan was crushed and we were rescued from the power of darkness. When, when was the last time we thanked God for that? We need to. What hope did we have? What hope did we have locked in the system of Satan, locked in our way to hell? There was no hope. We say, thank you, Father, for my inheritance. Thank you for my deliverance from the grasp of the dominion of Satan. And there's a third thing for which Paul thanks the Father, and that's transference. That's the positive side of the, de- the deliverance aspect. Verse 13, right in the middle. And he brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom, and this describes the Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word here is methistemi. Methistemi, translated here as brought into, means to transfer, to remove from one place to another. Perfect example in, in our congregation here is uh, what uh, Martinez and Hanley and Marley have, have gone through in their life. They were transferred from uh, South Africa to Australia. They were transferred from Australia to Germany. And they were transferred from Germany here to the States. Total transfer. They, they were completely moved from one place to another. And that's exactly what's happened to, to us in Christ. Paul is saying that we've we're not just been taken out of something, but we've been moved and put somewhere else. Where is that? The kingdom of the Son that He loves. We're in His kingdom. The Father has already given His kingdom to the Son He loves, and then He places everybody who loves His Son into that kingdom. Isn't that something? Now, what is this kingdom? Have you ever thought about that? Well, some. See, ah, that's in the future. It's coming. It's coming. And there's some truth to that. It is coming. There, there's truth in the fact that it's future. There's going to be a future for this world when Jesus reigns. He's going to come back. He's going to reign for a thousand years, a millennial reign of Jesus Christ on earth, and the throne of David is going to be established in the city of Jerusalem. That's all in the prophecies. There is coming a kingdom on earth, a restored kingdom, and will extend into a new heaven, a new earth for all of eternity. But there's more than that. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son that He loves, is more than just the future that we're still waiting for. 
It's a very spiritual reality that we have right now. In fact, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul gives us a beautiful definition of it. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is living in us. The Holy Spirit who is that seal. The Holy Spirit who is that guarantee for us. Yes, there is a future thousand reign of Christ on earth, but folks, there is a special relationship that we have here in this age with a living God when we come to Jesus Christ. So what's really a kingdom? A kingdom is a group of people ruled by a king, right? And when we become believers, we crown Jesus Christ as king. He's our savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. It's what we believe. And we become subjects then to his kingdom, in his kingdom. He's the king of our life. He is the Lord of our life. We call him Lord. He's a ruler of our hearts, and one day we'll come to rule the earth. Folks, we are subjects in his kingdoms, and exciting to realize that we've been taken out of the dominion and jurisdiction of darkness and placed then in the kingdom of the Son whom the Father loves. But with that, there comes a huge responsibility on our part, right? As children of the kingdom, we should represent the king well. We should represent the king well. That goes back to walking worthy of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, Paul urges us to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. If God's made you and I, subjects of his kingdom, we ought to be acting like it. We need to walk worthy because we're representing and reflecting the king. In fact, we're called ambassadors. We represent him. We've been given an inheritance. We've been delivered from the realm of and dominion of Satan, and we've been transferred to God's kingdom in Christ. You know, someone once said that on his tombstone, he was going to have ingrained. Born January 8th, 1942. Born again April 12th, 1961. Died, he didn't. Transferred. Isn't that great? So we close this morning. Look at verse 14 a minute. How was all this possible? How was it that we could ever receive an inheritance? How was it that we could ever be delivered from the darkness? How was it that we could ever be transferred into his kingdom? Only one way, folks, is Jesus. Only possibility. The Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We had to be redeemed. We had to be bought back with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus. Had to have our sins forgiven by that. The thing that stands between people and God is sin. Redemption is a forgiveness of sin and the drawing of us to himself. When God put his son Jesus Christ on the cross, when he bore our sin and he bore your sin and my sin, the penalty was paid, the price was paid to redeem us back. And because of that, He could give us an inheritance. He could deliver us and He could transfer us into His kingdom. And understanding all that God has done for us, our praise, our prayers, folks, need to be full 
of thanksgiving. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of yourself, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. And Father, we give joyful thanks to you because you qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.